0: All right, Matthew chapter number two, Matthew chapter number two. I, I don't always like preaching holiday messages, to be honest with you. Sometimes I do it reluctantly because I feel like that it's expected of me. And uh, today is really not one of those type of messages. I'm actually, uh, I, I'm just kind of excited about the things that I have for you here today. Uh, I think that you'll find it both uh, interesting and educational, and uh, hopefully by the grace of God, uh, when it's all said and done, uh, you'll also see that there's a practical truth that we need to put into application in our life uh, when we get to the end of the message. Matthew chapter number 2, I want to talk to you this morning on the star of Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter number 2 in verse number 1, The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. Skip down to verse number seven. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And then in verse number 9, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for this um, this account of your birth, these men that came from the east to worship you, to bring you gifts. Lord, we pray now that you would bless this time together. May our hearts and minds be clear of any and all distractions Lord, may we not think about the things that uh, worry us or concern us, and uh, Father, even uh, the distraction of the Christmas season, we pray, Father, that we would just set those things aside, and Lord, as we're in the house of God, may the Word of God speak to our heart and give us the understanding that we need. Lord, so much tradition and just uh, just really religious nonsense surrounds uh, the Christmas season, and uh, so many things that have been told or sung about so often that uh, in reality aren't even true. Lord, uh, we believe that the truth of God's Word is uh, is the source of light. We believe that it's what we need to know. And so Lord, help us to sift through all of the tradition and to see the truth of your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Now, of course, there are some traditions about this particular account that aren't necessarily true. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. We talk about the three wise men, and we have no way of knowing that there was three. It could have been two, it could have been 40. We really don't know, it just says wise men from the east. Now, speaking of the east, we don't know how far east that they came from. Uh, We sing a Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Of course, Orient being the Far East, and they were from a long ways away, if indeed that was true. But once again, we don't know if they came from the Orient, we just know that there were multiple men that were referred to as wise men, and they came from the East. And so, obviously, there are some traditional things that may or may not be true, according to the Word of God. But what an interesting contrast between the account of Jesus' birth as we compare the Gospel of Matthew with the Gospel of Luke. You know, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is presented as the King. In the book of Luke, however, Jesus is presented as the Son of Man. One is representing His royalty uh, the other is representing his humanity. And you know, I find it interesting that even in the Christmas story that the wise men are presented, they're kings from the, well, we call them kings, we don't know if they were, but they came from the east and they brought gifts and they worshipped him. That, to me, demonstrates royalty. Whereas in Luke's gospel, the Son of Man, we find just lowly shepherds. I mean, the kind of people, I can't relate to wise men. That sounds a little bit, a uh, little bit condescending of myself. But, you know, some of these men that are highly educated and are, uh, you know, are of renown. I, I just, I came from Idaho, Taterville. I mean, I came from a town that most of you had never heard, never heard of. My son Josh was telling me about, um, about somebody. He went into a store and was talking to this man and, and the, the guy said, um, yeah, well, actually, he said, I'm from Idaho. And Josh says, really? That's cool. I'm from Idaho. And he says, whereabouts in Idaho? He said, well, you know, he said, uh, it, it's, kind of in the Boise area, but you, uh, you, I'm sure you haven't heard of it. It's a little town called Nampa. And Josh goes, that's the town I grew up in. You know, what a small world that here's somebody that he bumps across, bumps into in Asheville. And here they, um, they, they're from the same town. That's, very interesting, and I had a point in all this, and I forgot what it was. Seriously. Shepherds, yeah. I can relate to shepherds, can't you? I can't relate to wise men of royalty that have gold and frankincense and myrrh. Boy, that's way out of my league. But Jesus as the Son of Man and these lowly shepherds coming to worship Him, I can certainly find, uh, find some kind of common ground. And so really the, the, the contrast is not just coincidental. It is providential in the account of Matthew's Gospel compared To Luke's gospel. As I already inadvertently said, that uh, these wise men uh, are traditionally called kings. And we can trace that back to around the third century. And some people say that it's because of the following prophecies. And so uh, just I think it's interesting. Let me present to you some things in the scripture that may potentially refer to these wise men as kings. In Psalm 72, And verse number 9, it says, They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. Verse number 10, The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And so there's maybe a few little indicators. We've got some kings, perhaps, coming from the east. They're falling down before him, and they're bringing presents. Also, in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 60, you're welcome to turn there. You're welcome to look on the screen. In Isaiah 60, verse number 1, it says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. "'For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. "'But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. "'And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. "'Lift up thine eyes round about, and see all they that gather themselves together. "'They come to thee. "'Thy sons shall come from far. "'Thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side.' Then shalt thou see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, and all they from Sheba shall come. And so a lot of things here, it's like, well, we could go into all kinds of studies. But then notice at the end of this prophetic passage, they shall bring gold gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. And so I think that there is certainly potential that these prophetic passages of Scripture have a reference to the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're talking about the star of Bethlehem. I want to ask you a question here this morning. What was the star? I don't know if you've ever thought about it before. We see Christmas cards where you find the manger scene or perhaps these three kings uh, in royal apparel and they're uh, bowing before a, a, a baby in a manger. And, and by the way, I, I wanted to mention this, and this I'm absolutely sure about. By the time that these wise men show up to worship the baby Jesus... He is no longer in a stable in a manger. The Bible says, we read it, that they came to the house where he was. So the wise men come a little bit later, and I hate to mess up your nativity scene in your mind, but, you know, sometimes truth really wreaks havoc on sentiment. W- wouldn't you agree? Um, we uh, we preached the funeral for Brother Harold Pendergrass uh, just Friday, and uh, was able to get the gospel out, and there was a, a gentleman that after the service, he kind of pulled me aside, and he was talking about some things, and and I wasn't quite sure where he was coming from. I thought he, he seemed very earnest and intent on what he had to say, and so my initial reaction was, well, maybe maybe the gospel message touched this man's heart, and maybe he's he's inquiring and needs to be saved, and so I'm listening and I'm, I'm trying to see where he's coming from, and to make, a, you know, a several-minute conversation, just condense it to a few things. Basically, what he was saying, he was saying, I appreciate what you had to say, and he was, you could tell that it had made an impact, and he said, you know, most funerals, just the preacher gets up and just talks about, you know, walking on the streets of gold and all of these things, and he started naming you know, three or four different things that you typically hear at a funeral. And he looked at me and he goes, that's not the way that it's going to be, is it? And I go, yeah, I'm sorry to say no. You know, just because a song touches your heart or a sermon or a story, just because it provides you comfort at that moment, that doesn't mean that it's true. And I have always been of the conviction that the only thing that will bring the right kind of lasting comfort is the truth. And that's why we need to always focus on the truth. And so the nativity scenes that we normally see are certainly not biblical. And let me give you a disclaimer, okay? It's kind of like the Bible teaching of angels that it doesn't mean that you have to be all pharisaical and you don't have to be the, the, the God's policeman. And just because somebody maybe doesn't understand or has never heard, you know, when you see a nativity scene, you don't have to go up and say, that's not the way it was. You know, some things really in the big scheme of things don't matter. And then other things, it's like, you know what, just keep it to yourself, invite them to church, and, you know, sometimes just maybe wait till they ask before you offer. Anyhow, bottom line, don't be, don't be Scrooge. Got quiet in here. Why did it get so quiet? So, back to my thought, I got to stay on track. What was the star? According to Astronomy Magazine, on December 21st, that's tomorrow by the way, Jupiter and Saturn will come together in a great conjunction, unlike any scene in nearly 800 years. The two planets will appear so close together in Earth's night sky on winter solstice that they'll almost look like a single bright object. According to astrologers, it is very plausible as they kind of take the uh, and start going backward in time. According to astrologers, it's very plausible that this great conjunction also happened sometime right around in the past, the time of Jesus' birth. Hey, is that interesting or what? I think it's kind of a, a little bit interesting. Historically, wise men... We're astrologers. Did you know that the wise men? And when, I, when we're talking about astrologers, we're not talking about astronomy and predicting horoscopes and so forth. We're talking about studying the planets. And you know, uh, the planets. Uh, I found I found it beneficial to plant by the signs. That's not hocus pocus astronomy. That's just the tides and the moon. Hey, if the moon can affect the ocean the way that it does then it may have other effects as well and you know Daniel uh in the old testament he understood signs and different things and they get that from understanding uh what was going on in the universe so to speak and so uh they would um, these wise men were astrologers and it would make sense that they would inquire about this star that they saw in the east and pursue its understanding how they came to understand the connection between this star and the coming of the Christ is unknown to us. Obviously, Herod's additional inquiry from the Jewish scriptural scholars, uh, he aided in their venture. Herod went to the Jews and said, where's, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem. So the wise men, if they were astrologers, they're seeking and they're following whatever understanding that they had at their particular time. Well, according to Astronomy Magazine, this great conjunction is going to take place tomorrow, right around the Christmas season. But from a biblical perspective, I have to say that there are several problems that throw a wrench in this great conjunction theory of Jupiter and Saturn aligning around Christmas time. One to mention, and this isn't even in my notes here, but one to mention the fact that Jesus wasn't literally born on December 25th. So, we'll just kind of set that one aside, but there's more to come, all right? First of all, number 1, Jupiter and Saturn would not have remained lined up long enough to guide them from the east to Judea. Mesopotamia, and listen, Mesopotamia would not really be considered that far east from Israel. But conservatively speaking, if these wise men, let's say they came from Babylon, that would be Mesopotamia. It's about 600 miles from Mesopotamia to Israel. That would be a 12 hour drive today going, you know, around 60 miles an hour. If they could do 20 miles a day on their camels or donkeys or walking on foot, and I think that 20 miles a day every single day, that's pretty, um, that'd be a pretty good, um, pretty good pace. It would have taken them over a month from the time that they saw the star to get to Jerusalem. And by then, this great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, it wouldn't be there any longer. Secondly, secondly, the perspective of this astronomical site would not have led them to Jerusalem. Have you ever been driving? I know um, we've driven across Wyoming And Wyoming's got some mountains and hills, and I can remember one particular time driving at night in Wyoming and looking out ahead at the interstate, and there would be a mountain peak right out in the distance, and right over the top of this mountain peak would be a full moon. And I mean, it would literally, from the perspective of where we were driving, it would look like the moon is getting ready to touch that mountain peak. And you're thinking, it's like, oh man, in just a few miles, that's going to look awesome. And so you drive and you drive and you, you, you get up to the top of that hill and you crest that hill only to find that the moon is like what seems a gazillion miles away. See, we're talking about perspective. And so if this was Saturn and Jupiter or any astronomical star for that matter, that perspective would not and could not have led them. See, the moon's 238,900 miles away. And so it just, there's no way that that could have led them from wherever they were in the east to Jerusalem. Thirdly, if the star they were following was located in the galaxy, they would not have been able to recognize. Now, get a load of this. Let's say that that star—it's in the in the the, the the Milky Way. It's in the galaxy, and let's say it does lead them to Jerusalem. Well, let's face it: from Jerusalem, they would not have been able to notice it moving from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is only six miles away, and that star being billions of miles away, they wouldn't have been able to recognize any movement, even if they had the same type of equipment that we have in modern science today. And so there's a lot of things that while some people like to get something they can sink their teeth into as far as miracles in the Bible and different things, we've got to be careful that we don't jump on board with something that just doesn't agree with the Word of God. So, my next point. What then was the star? That's what we're talking about. That's what we need to conclude here today. Well, number one, from a scriptural standpoint we find that it didn't have to be a cosmic star. Now, I'm a Bible literalist, and I hope you are as well. I believe every word of this King James Bible. I believe that every word is accurate. I don't believe that anything is left out that should be in this Bible. I don't believe anything's added that shouldn't be in this Bible. And I don't think any word or punctuation needs to be changed. In fact, I believe if you change... One single thing in this book, you have just corrupted the integrity and the purity and the preservation of God's Word. Psalm 12, 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I'm glad we've got a perfect book. And so I believe... That from a scriptural standpoint, I believe in literal, you know, when I read the book of Revelation, there are some things that I believe are literally going to happen. Hey, I believe when those beasts come out of the bottomless pit with hair like a woman and with scorpion tails and stinging men, I believe those are going to be real beings. I don't believe they're Apache helicopters. I believe it's literal, but I also believe that there's times in the book of Revelation when John said that he saw the, he saw that woman sitting on many waters and then it goes on to define or to explain that the many waters represent all of the peoples of the world. And so, yes, there is figurative language in the Bible, but it all has a literal meaning. So we've got to be careful that we rightly divide the difference between the two, because there are some things that are said in the Bible that are a matter of human perspective, not doctrinal declaration. Of course, we've been talking about that in uh, weeks gone by. But a scriptural the Scripture doesn't necessarily say that a star has to be a cosmic star. Consider Job 38 and verse number 4. God says to Job, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Notice in verse number 7, The Lord says to Job, When the morning stars sang together... And all the sons of God shouted for joy. The Holy Spirit gives us not just a clue, but a declaration that those sons of God that are presenting themselves before God in Job chapter number 1, God also refers to them as the morning stars. What are they? They are angelic beings. In this particular case, the angels in Job chapter number 1 are I I believe, fallen angels that present themselves before the Lord with their leader, Satan. But these morning stars, the word star here has a reference to an angelic being. If that's not enough uh, enough testimony to at least get you to think that a star is not necessarily a cosmic star, then uh, consider Revelation 1 and verse number 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. The Scripture refers to angels as stars. Revelation 9 and verse number 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven... Unto the earth. Alright, now, I, I, once again, I'm not an astronomer. I can only take people's words for it, but I am told that the stars of the galaxy are, are, I mean, literally thousands and thousands of times larger than planet earth. And so for one of those stars to fall to the earth, there's some pretty bad things that would happen probably the gravitational force, or the it would probably melt the earth completely before it even got within a light year of it. And so just rationally speaking, it's like something's not quite fitting. You say, well, with God all things are possible. I understand that. I understand that completely. But I also see throughout the Scripture that God in His dealings with men as a very, very Consistent general rule, he follows the same scientific uh, order that he created when he spoke this world into existence. And then notice also that it says in um, the the second part of Revelation nine one, it says, "And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit." So this this star that falls from heaven to the earth. It's a hymn, and he is given a key to a bottomless pit. Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Folks, a star in Scripture can sometimes refer to a spiritual being in the unseen realm what do we refer to celebrities in our society today? We refer to them as stars. There are stars on the sidewalk in Hollywood, and anybody that is renowned and is well-known, then they are referred to as a star. So the first thing is obviously, from a scriptural standpoint, a star does not have to be or mean a cosmic star. Secondly, this star in the in uh, the Christmas story narrative that we read is visibly and geographically moved, and then it stopped. Once again, Matthew 2, verse number 9, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So here they are six miles from Bethlehem, And all of a sudden, they see the same star. It it, it sure does sound to me like that when they showed up in Jerusalem, that star wasn't there. Otherwise, they could have said to Herod, see the star? They saw it from the east. They went to where they saw that it was. It wasn't there. And then when they left Herod's palace after inquiring, they went out and, oh, there it is again. And then it moved and it stopped and it led them that six-mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And then uh, number three, my third point is that it stands to reason that not everyone could see this star. You know, if, if this star was hovering over a stable in Bethlehem, there would have been more than just a few shepherds and more than just some wise men from the east that would have showed up, it would have been a national phenomenon, and it would have been pandemonium all around the scene of the birth of Jesus Christ. So it certainly appears to me that not everyone could see this star, only the ones to whom God would reveal it. Now, when it comes to angels, wouldn't you agree that angels are in the unseen realm, and sometimes God will open up the understanding and the the, the vision of man. Remember when, um, and, and forgive me, this just came to my mind, uh, I think it was Elisha, when the armies were coming out against, and he said to his servant, Lord, open up his eyes, and he said, there's way more for us than for them. And the Lord opened up that servant's eyes and he saw all of the angels out there and their armies that were standing between them and the Syrian army. See, God can open up our mind, open up our eyes to see things in the spiritual realm and uh, it doesn't mean that everybody else is going to see the same things. And so this brings me to my final point here this morning is this, what does it matter All the things that we've talked about. Is it a cosmic star? Is it an angel? What does it matter? Well, folks, God gives us this record not only as symbolic um, or fulfillment of prophecy, it was angels who audibly gave direction to the shepherds. Now, they gave direction to the shepherds with audible light. Doesn't the Bible say that the entrance of thy words giveth light? And so light can come from God through words. And the the angels, or excuse me, the shepherds saw the angels and they heard the voice of the the angels when they said glory to God in the highest on peace on earth peace goodwill toward men. I hope I didn't murder that too bad. And so that was audible light. It was likely as we've seen, and I believe, an angel who gave direction to the wise men with visible light. Uh, It is the bright and morning star, Jesus Christ, that gives light to every man, every man since the time of the cross. What do you mean by that, preacher? John chapter 12, verse number 32. Have you ever really thought about this verse when Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me? In the other gospel, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And I've heard so many Christians and so many preachers say, see there, if we will lift up the name of Jesus, then he'll draw people to him. Now, that's not false, there's certainly truth to that. But I have to say that the literal doctrinal meaning of what Jesus is saying is not he's not referring to our our worship or adoration of him or even our preaching of him. He's referring to the event that's getting ready to take place. He's going to be hung on the cross. He's going to be lifted up from the earth as he is nailed upon Calvary's cross. And Jesus said, "If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto Me. What do we have there, folks? We have the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is bringing light into this world. Folks, I see a a consistent pattern from the Scripture, a consistent pattern from observation that light responded to brings more light. How about Cornelius in Acts chapter number 10? God revealed something to Cornelius. He said, I want you to send to Joppa for Simon Peter and he'll come and tell you words whereby you and your house can be saved. Cornelius didn't know how to be saved. He just had that vision. What did he do? He responded to the light that was given to him, and he sent his servants, and they went and they fetched Peter, and Peter came and presented to him the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Cornelius, the first Gentile to be saved, how did he get saved? By responding to the light that was given to him. Listen, most men fail to see the significance of the light that God gives them. Just like the billions of stars, if you've ever looked up at the sky in a, in a really clear night, and uh, here in the south, we have so much humidity, and there's so many, uh, there's so much population that there's so many lights from the city that kind of cloud that. But listen, I've been on the top of mountains that are about a mile high, out west where there's no humidity and there is no other lights. And I've looked up and you just see cluster after cluster after cluster of stars that you never could see when you're down in the valley. And you know, you just think, wow, so many, just millions upon millions of little lights in the sky. And sadly, folks, God gives light. Jesus is drawing all men unto him. And sadly, most people view that light like just another star in the sky that doesn't really its neat to look at, but it doesn't really have any personal meaning or significance. They just all seem to blend together. In John chapter 1 and verse number 5, it says, "...the light shineth in darkness." him not. Some men respond to the light, but most men are oblivious and don't pay it any attention. God gave these wise men some light, and they followed that light from a very far country. God gives us light in America. Think about how much light we have in America today. The wise men traveled over dry, dusty terrain for probably months to respond to that little light that they didn't even know what it meant. And we live in America where we've got gospel preaching light on the radio, on the television. We've got churches on every corner. And sadly, most people today won't cross the street to respond to the light that God gives I wonder when people stand before God at the great white throne and say, God, I didn't know, or it just, it just seemed too complicated. It was too difficult to respond to Christ. And I wonder if those wise men won't be lined up there and kind of going, really? Are you kidding me? John chapter 3 and verse number 19, and this is the condemnation that light has come to the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Oh God, I didn't know. I didn't understand. God said, remember that star that I gave you? Remember that little light? Remember that little doctor's diagnosis? Remember that little scare while you were driving down the interstate? Remember that news that you heard? Remember that time when you woke up in the middle of the night and your heart was hurting, and your conscience was awake, and you just thought, why do I feel so guilty? What's going on? God was giving that light, and did you respond? Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Folks, I remember a crisis in my life the year following the, de- um, the, the death, my dad's tragic death. I remember that crisis lasted for uh, really a little over a year. And I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't figure it out. I, it's like, Lord, I don't understand. Why do I feel this way? Why, why am I emotionally such a wreck? Why am I so sensitive? Why is just everything just, it's just in a tailspin and vertigo and just, I was a mess. And I, and I think, well, God, I'm not, I'm not angry at you. I, this just doesn't feel like grief. It's not like I'm just, oh, I want to see my dad so bad. It was the aftermath of losing my dad to that tragic accident. And the aftermath just kept snowballing. And I got to the point where it's like, God, I don't know what to do. I prayed. Lord knew how often that I prayed. And finally, I got to the point, I'm in my office out, in Idaho and I'm in my office and I'm just pacing back and forth and I don't remember what had been going on, but I was just so miserable with what was going on and I was so searching for light, for answers. And I said, God, I can't do this anymore. You've got to show me. You've got to sh- reveal to me what is wrong. I've got to understand. And folks, I, this was not, this was not a, a physical light, but I looked at, I had this, had about five or six bookshelves in my office and they, they went the corner of my, my office and I looked at this particular bookshelf and I'm just glancing and I think, well, maybe one of those books will help me. I, Lord knows I've been searching in the Bible for answers. And I'm looking at that bookshelf and folks, I'm not kidding. This this wasn't physical, but it's like one particular book of all of those books in my bookshelf, it, it's almost like it just kind of glowed. And it, whether it glowed or not, I don't know, but I do know that for some reason my attention was just arrested on that one tiny little thin book. And I started walking towards it, and I reached in, And I pulled out that book, and I go, hmm. I started reading the introduction. God is my witness. I didn't even get through two pages of the introduction. But what that author didn't deal directly with the exact feelings and emotions that I had been feeling, and he addressed it with a scriptural principle that I knew I knew what it was. I'd probably taught it, but I had never truly applied it to me personally. And within two pages of the introduction, God miraculously gave me the understanding. Why is that, folks? I believe it's because I responded to the light that God was trying to give me I wonder how often we sit in a church service, and God is shining a light in our life. And what do we do? We just spiritually, we just sleep through it, and we think, you know what? I didn't come to get light. I didn't come to get direction. I just came so that I can check it off my list and go on with my daily life. And the whole time, God has literally stars that are shining a little light here and a little light there. And he's just waiting for someone that will respond to that light. As I close here this morning, I'd like to ask you a question. Has God placed a star in your life? I can look back and I can I can count a handful of times just like the one that I just shared with you when God put a star in my life. I can tell you times when I rejected that light and I struggled and I floundered and I just you know, tried to fix it on my own until finally I'd come to the point where it's like, okay, Lord, you've shown me I need to go back and I need to do something about it because my way certainly hasn't worked. I haven't always responded to the light that God's given me, but God has been faithful and He's been patient, and I'm glad that He's continued to show me light until finally He got through to me. But I can name you times when I responded to that light, and I look back and I go, wow, Lord, You are so real and you you are doing little miracles in my life, and things that when you tell it to other people, it just doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. But to you, to me personally, it's like this star of Bethlehem that led the wise men all the way across uh, all of those countless miles. For me personally, it was that's significant. And folks, the light that God gives you can and will be that significant in your life if you'll just simply humble yourself, recognize it. Will you recognize it? Will you pursue it? Think about these wise men. And this is the last thing I want to say here this morning. These wise men, they're pagan. They're Gentiles. They responded to a light. No doubt. Maybe their motive was more scientific. It's like, oh, that's wow. We got to check that out. Cool. It might have started out that way, but once they got there and they started seeing that God was working, and they showed up and they saw the baby and the baby there in the house. And they recognized this is the Messiah. This is the King. They responded to that light. And you know what what they found? Remember when they went home a different way instead of doing what Herod told them to do? You know what they found? They found a new king. And that king was the Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll respond to the star that God puts in your life, the light of the Word of God, you'll find that it will lead you to a new king in your life, a savior, a king, a friend, a guide, a comforter. He is all of that and much, much more. But you've got to recognize it and you've got to respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, please bless our people tonight this morning. Speak to our hearts and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? I believe that the Holy Spirit is working here this morning. And I just want to ask you to consider, is there a star in your life? Is there a light that God is shining Will you recognize it today? Will you pursue it today? Will you come and find a new king? These wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know what? God's not looking for your money today. He's not looking for your perfume. He's not looking for your valuables. He's looking for you. He's looking for people that will, by faith, believe in Jesus Christ. He's looking for people who believe in Jesus Christ to say, I want Christ to be my King. It's one thing for Him to be your Savior. It's a totally different thing for Him to be your King. I made Him my Savior as a five-year-old boy, but I didn't make Him my King until a 19-year-old young man. Those are the two best decisions I ever made in my life. And I will go through all eternity looking back at those two decisions and knowing that God put a star in my life to guide me to the Christ child. And I'm so glad that He did, and I'm so glad that He gave me the grace and the sense to respond to that light. How about you? If you're not saved here today, God's shined that light in your heart. You need to humble yourself and say, Lord, I've been wrong. I've been trying to be good. I've been trying to be religious, but I know that I need to put my faith and trust in the cross of Calvary. I think that there's probably maybe someone here that's like that, someone listening on live stream, but Beyond that, I think there's probably more that are listening that are under the category that, yeah, He's my Savior. But I'm not following any star or any light from the Scripture today. I'm following my own desires. I'm following pleasure. I'm following comfort. I'm following following myself. My heart is leading me when the whole time God says, I want to be your king and I want to be your leader. I want to be your guide. Will you this morning humble yourself and say, God, help me. I want to respond to the light that you've given me.